0: Well, it is February, in case you've uh, kind of missed, missed the calendar. Next Friday is Valentine's Day, February the 14th. Um, a few of you just broke out in a cold sweat. Um, you're like, oh my gosh, is it that soon? Red roses will triple in price um, in the next couple of days, uh, so get them quickly. You know, the the church historically is not exactly known what to do with this. Uh, there are still some traditions today that that honor St. Valentine, that they consider him one of the uh, early church martyrs, and they still celebrate that as part of their liturgy. A lot of other traditions have kind of passed this up because of the over-commercialization of Valentine's Day, I feel like that it has really tainted the original intent of what this was about. And So today we're going to see if we can't find uh, an interesting balance in our understanding of this day. First of all, listen to the story of St. Valentine. Valentinus, the hero of the legend of St. Valentine, lived in the time of Claudius Caesar, emperor of Rome in the 2nd century AD. Claudius had ordered the entire Roman population to worship 12 pagan gods and made it a capital crime to associate with Christians. Since Valentinus Valentinus would not stop practicing his his faith, he was arrested and thrown into prison. The jailer of the prison recognized that Valentinus was an honorable man, and he learned one, too. Therefore, he inquired of Valentinus if he would instruct his blind daughter, Julia, who was young and anxious to learn. Valentinus read stories of Rome to her and described the world of nature and taught her about the things of the one true God. Julia began to see the world through the eyes of Valentinus and found spiritual comfort in his spiritual strength. Julia wondered if God really hears our prayers and Valentinus assured her that he does provided it is for our greater spiritual good. She said she was now praying every morning and night that she might see everything that Valentinus had told her about the world. Then one day as they sat together praying a brilliant light flashed in Valentinus's cell. Julia shouted, "Valentinus, I can see. I can see." Her blindness had been healed the story spread spread quickly of the miracle, but because Valentinus was unwilling to give up his faith, he would soon be martyred. On the eve of his martyrdom, Valentinus wrote a letter to his pupil, Julia, urging her to stay close to God in prayer. Without any further expression of affection, he signed it, From your Valentinus. So we say today, from your Valentine.
1: What this story clearly shows us is a love that is sacrificial. That a, a love that looks outward, a love that is giving. You know, in our culture, we have a variety of um, responses to Valentine's Day. One of them is what I call the curmudgeon response. <laughs> That's the—it's just a way to sell cards and flowers and candy at really high prices. Then there, <laughs> there is the church curmudgeon. You wondered where he was, there he is. <laughs> then we have the anxious response, which some of you are feeling. Man, I've got to come up with something really spectacular, or she'll be so disappointed and think I'm a loser. Or there's the never satisfied response Oh, you got me red roses? Well, that's kind of what you always get me. I, I kind of want some white. And yeah, the candy's nice, but I really like the caramel centers. And this has like this nougat-y stuff in it. What is nougat-y stuff anyway? Never satisfied. Or how about the oblivious? Huh? (laughs) What day is it? 14th. Why? That's the oblivious. Okay, there's a lot of other responses too. But what if we took this day, what if we took this season of Valentine's and we decided to make it more than just cards and flowers and gifts? What if we took it as an opportunity to really love the people around us? Married, single, wherever you're at in life. What if you took this to say, I want to find a way to love those people that are all around me. A number of years ago, I had a client that came in, and she'd had a lot of losses. She was a wonderful, wonderful woman, loved God with all of her heart. She had a lot of losses in her life. And she tended to pull in because of those losses. She had very few uh, family members left. The ones that she had were extremely dysfunctional, and so it was really safer to not be with them. And so she kind of pulled back, and she found herself becoming very self-focused and very concerned about what was going on in her little world. And because of that, she became more sensitive to things. So if she had somebody that didn't return a phone call right away, they were rejecting her. Or if somebody in the church looked the other direction, they were being rude or they didn't care about her. So the more those interactions happened, the more she withdrew, and then the more she read into all these interactions with people. And so she was lonely and and just struggling with feeling alone in her life. And one day she was in to see me and... We were in the middle of, of talking about some of the things that were going on, and all of a sudden I heard these words come out of my mouth, and I knew they were the Holy Spirit because they surprised me, uh, but, but they really have changed my life to this point, and I think it made a difference in her life. And I, I heard myself saying, you know, what if this isn't about you? What if you were put here to be a healing presence To everyone around you. We were both startled. And we sat there for a minute. And it was, what would it look like. If I really believed that every interaction that I had with people. Was to bring them healing. And was to bring them hope. And we started to explore. What does that look like when I go into the grocery store and I meet someone. What does that look like in the people that I work next to. How can I be a healing and loving presence. And that's some of what we're going to talk about today. How can I bring love and hope to the people that I'm closest to, but also to other people in my life?
0: So what about us? What if it's more about the giving of love than it is the feeling of it? Um, the story, Legend of St. Valentine, and this sacrificial love is very different than Uh, the highly romanticized culture that we live in. You know, we live under this narrative today that love is this magical thing that happens to you. Um, E-Harmony people have helped us with the term soulmate. And so we kind of get this idea that we've all been born with a little serial number behind our ear. And there is one matching serial number in all the seven billion of people on the planet. And we're just to kind of roam around through life, you know, until eventually we kind of touch the serial number, you know, and something zaps us and the Cupid arrow lodges just right. And life is now bliss. It is very easy. It doesn't take any effort. It doesn't take any work. Um, and we'll be on that kind of intoxicated high that we started with. Now. Um, this idealized love, by the way, didn't really start in our culture until about the 14th century. Um, A poet by the name of Geoffrey Chaucer in the late 14th century actually began to talk about this romanticized love, and it kind of took off after that. Now, we're not suggesting that all romantic love is somehow bad or evil. I believe it actually can be a great blessing in our life if we understand it properly. And we're we're also not saying that all relationships are just going to be so hard and that you know marriage is going to be you're just going to have to pick up your cross and carry it daily you know (laughs) that after that dating courtship time it's pretty much over you're just going to have to endure to the end we're not saying any of that so what is the proper understanding of love um of romance um in our relationships
1: The New Testament of our Christian story says things like this, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than this. Love one another as I have loved you, you must love one another. This is my command, love each other. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You now, all throughout the New Testament, love is expressed as something we do caring for people. We don't see anything that says, if you feel loving, do this. Because love is a choice. We make a choice to do loving things with the people in our lives. And sometimes we don't feel it. Sometimes we have to act it out before we feel it. This weekend we had a wonderful experience. Um, We had the IF conference for women. And it was absolutely amazing, which is a lot for me to say that. Because frankly, I hate women's conferences. Um, I have to really rethink that now because it just kind of blew me out of the water. Yes, I prayed for snow. Um,
0: <laughs> she did. <laughs> confession
1: she did. is good for the soul. For a week, she I did. For snow. I prayed for snow, but it was so good and it was so rich and so amazing. But one of just little tiny part that I got out of it is Kristen Armstrong, who is Lance Armstrong's ex-wife. She shared for a little bit. And she talked about what it was like when the scandal about Lance broke. And it was in the media, and everyone knew, and she had to take her kids to school and let them out and watch her boys walk into school knowing that everyone there knew that their dad was a liar, that he had cheated. And she said she came to the point where she had to say, you know what, I have to act strong for them. I have to act in the right way for them. I've got to be okay, so they're going to be okay. Even if she didn't feel like it, even if she wanted to hide in her house and not go anywhere, she had to keep going. And she said the most interesting thing. She said, acting my way into feeling is easier than feeling my way into an action. Sometimes we have to act our way into something and make the choice of love. Now, as Brent said, I I don't believe that means that we're just not going to feel love in our relationships, that we're not going to feel warmth in our marriage. That's my boyfriend. I really like him. Mm -hmm. Um, We're we're going to have that. But even when we love somebody, we have to make a choice of love. When I had small kids, you know, I adore my kids. If you want to talk about the greatest people on the earth, just come ask me and I will tell you about my children. Grandbaby beyond the top. But (laughs) There were times I did not want to fix them breakfast. As much as I love them, I had to make a choice to do that. I had to make a choice to go to 20,000 basketball games and sit on those hard bleachers. I lost count at 30 musicals that my kids were in. But you make a choice to do that. I have mornings that I wake up and I go, I don't want to go to work today because I'm going to be counseling And those people have so many problems. (laughs) It's so depressing. And I, (laughs) it's a true confession day. Um, And and I find myself, I'll go over to my computer and I'll check my schedule. Maybe a bunch of people canceled. Did it snow today? Um, And then I look at their names and I go, oh you know what, she had to get a restraining order against her ex-husband, I really need to be there for her. Oh, that's a father with his daughter in college and they've been estranged for quite a while and we're gonna really work on their communication. Oh, okay. And then I get there to the office and I find myself saying as they walk out the door, sincerely with all my heart, I go, I'm so glad you came today. And I find myself walking away at the end of the day going, I have a great job. I really love what I do, but not at 7 o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. We have to make a choice to do things, sometimes regardless of how we feel.
0: If there is magic in love, if there's a miracle in love, it's because God is the magic in the sauce, that somehow he steps into our giving. When we are able to orient ourselves toward his ways, this idea of sacrificial love, he steps into the middle of it and does something beyond the act itself. Um, I've been amazed at even the idea we talk about in the church, the idea of giving financially. And this is an area that's been misunderstood so so often. uh, The the whole idea of even seed faith, of planting a seed and the blessing that comes back from that. There is a spiritual principle. If you give, there will be a blessing in your life. Now, we have tried to formulize it. We've tried to control it. We've tried to get it all down to, well, if I give here, then I'm going to get, you know, a check in the mail. Or I'm going to definitely get that raise if I give this extra offering that that TV evangelist said I should give. That God woke him up in the middle of the night and said you should give this, you know. um, That that this exactly will happen. We've way overcooked it and kind of gotten it odd. Um, But there is a principle in that. Now, if I give just to get... It's like a poison gets released in the system somehow and steals the blessing. It's the same thing. If I, if I give sacrificially to my spouse or to others, as I give, something happens. We get something back from that. And it's not always from them. That's the amazing thing. Even financial blessing. When you give financially, sometimes the blessing that comes back isn't even money. It's something else, a peace or a security that happens in your life. Now, if I give to Janice something trying to manipulate her so that she'll give me back, it's like a poison that gets released in the system and it starts messing with things. But God does something. As you give, there's something that happens in the middle That All of us parents know what that's like when we've bought Christmas presents for our kids. And, you know, you try to takes some special effort for each child and there's those few gifts where they open it up and their eyes light up and it's like I hit the target. Sometimes you get more out of that than they get out of it. Some, God does something amazing in the midst of that. As Janice said, the beautiful thing is that feelings are a byproduct of behavior. The the feelings are the blessing that comes, because I do believe God wants us to feel close and warm, and intimate and connected with our spouses now it is confusing in the beginning all of us have had that falling in love experience and it didn't seem like we had to do anything it was just the glance across the room or just that first conversation and you know chemistry was happening and I do believe that God is behind that I believe that his design for that was just to get two people in the room together so that they would get to know each other Now we've taken that and made that a philosophy of love because every romance movie is basically about that initial chemistry that happens you know they've done studies on the brain on the chemical reactions that happen in the brain during those first few weeks and the chemicals that are released in the brain have similar properties to the to the uh, drug speed so we're on drugs Um, For the first few weeks and months, we're on drugs. Um, The average couple has about 18 months of that, where it's just easy, um, and it's natural. And it gets confusing to us, because we think that it is magic. If I get this magic thing happen to me, then I'll just love them sacrificially for the next 70 years. Doesn't work that way. Everybody comes off of that high, and if we don't understand the rhythms or the disciplines of love, on how do I love them sacrificially, then um, things begin to disconnect. But if we learn those rhythms, then God can bless us with these wonderful feelings for a long, long time. Now, the challenge is we get out of the habit of this. You've heard us talk about before that we have, in early courtship, we have a, what we call a face-to-face relationship. It's you and me, baby against the world. You know, all I want to do is just to see your face one more time. Um, we want, I want to hang out every spare minute I have. We have like four or five dates a week. Um, we do all these nice little caring things for each other. It's very easy to do that. And it feels incredible. It's a very powerful connection. That's why people usually walk down the aisle with each other. But a unique phenomenon happens is once we get married and walk down the aisle, we turn side to side. One of the things we realized 35 years ago is we both had to get a job. Um, we had to start going to work. Uh, We bought a house, and I had to start remodeling the house, and we started having children, and so we had to go to soccer practice and piano lessons and work on their algebra stuff that they just weren't getting. And, And, you know, all of those kind of things. Now, there's nothing evil with any of those things. Those are all part of the realities of life. But what tends to happen in all of our lives... And we don't do this on purpose. Nobody decides I'm going to neglect my relationship. But we are all neglectful. Because we we build our lives in a way that all of our energy goes out in those side-to-side experiences. By the end of the day, I don't have much left. And so even when I do come back to the same house and kind of look your direction, I don't have much to give. And the best of people, the best of relationships will slowly start disconnecting. There's just there's no way around it. It will just happen. We get out of the rhythm and out of the habit of that. And so we're going to talk about some rhythms. What are those rhythms that pull us back face-to-face? It's no different than why we come here on Sundays or Saturday night or Sundays. Uh, it helps us pull ourselves back face-to-face with God. You know what it's like. It's very easy on Monday to go back to work and all the stresses of life, and we kind of get out of the rhythms of our spiritual disciplines and habits. It's just easy to do. This is one of those disciplines. We come back face-to-face. Now, this Saturday, um, for three hours, Saturday morning, 9 to 12, we're going to talk about five of these disciplines, that if, that if you begin to implement these in your marriage, wherever you're at, if you're struggling, it will help bring life to you. If you're just kind of okay hanging out, it'll take you to another level. And even if you feel like we've got a great marriage, it'll help you go even farther. I've never had anybody in 30 years come to me and say, Brent, we, we are just too happy. You have... <laughs> got to do something to settle us down here. <laughs> Never had that. I don't expect that. So we all can can grow. Now, so Saturday morning, we're going to talk about that. Um, for the next couple of minutes, we're going to hit the highlights of a couple of these. Now, some of you have have uh, been around us for a while, some of you have heard these. Even if, even if you heard these at Date Your Mate this summer or if you've been at one of our seminars a few years ago, we find that it's about every six months we need to be reminded of these because we slowly slip back side to side. And by the way, side to side living is going to be most of the time in our life, in our 24 hours. The quantity of time will be side to side. But if we don't consistently have face to face pulling back then we're gonna begin disconnecting. We are not gonna sit over candlelight dinners for six hours um, and just look into each other's eyes and dream about our next vacation, okay? That's not real life. It's gonna be few moments each day, but when we pull back in these disciplines, it has to be potent. It has to be powerful um, to be able to make a difference so that we can go back and live life side to side.
1: We all have an emotional love bank. When people do nice things for us, it helps fill that bank up. It's kind of similar to your financial bank. When you make deposits, it grows. When you make withdrawals, it shrinks. And some of you know from your financial bank, if you are making more withdrawals than you are deposits, problems start to happen. Your, your uh, debit card starts getting declined. Or if any of you still use checks, you get a lot of really thin envelopes in the mail with these extra charges. I remember when our kids first got their checking accounts and it would be like, honey, you got three little envelopes today. And it's expensive. When there is more being taken out than put in, we get into trouble. The same thing happens in our marriages and in all of our relationships. If we are planting into each other's lives small, caring, loving things, it starts building up that closeness that we have with each other. Now, withdrawals can happen in a lot of ways. It can be a huge uh, knock-down, drag-out fight that you have. Yes, that will will definitely be a withdrawal. But also, it's just the stuff of life. It's being side-to-side, day in and day out. It's going to work. It's, you know, cleaning up after a kid that's thrown up. Those are the things that take out of our emotional love bank. And so we're encouraging you to look for ways to plant into the love bank of the people that are around you. They're little things, but little things make a huge difference if you're building that deposits up more and more. Many years ago when I was, uh, I say when I was first in counseling, but it was at least 10 years because nobody would come to see me because I was too young as a marriage counselor. But um, I I had a couple come in, and um, I knew they were going to be older uh, because they had married late in life, and they had just celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. And the day of their 50th wedding anniversary celebration with all the friends and families, the husband was an hour late to the party. So the wife, the next morning, got up and went and bought a house and moved out and said, I've done this for 50 years. I'm not doing it anymore. So they came in to see me for counseling. She, she came in her walker, you know, and, and I'm like... Oh boy, maybe I need to see my husband. No. It's <laughs> one of my little tricks. Um, so I'm working with them, and I, I started to work with them on doing small loving behaviors for one another. What are things that you can do to help that other person feel loved? And over time, we continued to work together, and she ended up selling her house and moving back in with him, and, and they started coming in, giggling together. And she'd be holding his hand in session, and they were just so precious and so sweet. And I said, guys, on our last session, I said, guys, what made the difference? What turned this thing around? I mean, you bought a house. That's pretty major. <laughs> you know, what turned this around? And she said, well, I know he really cares about me and I know I'm really first in his life because he's done such sweet little things for me. I was like, really? Like what? Tell me about it. And she said, well, one of the things, and she's laughing, she goes, at night, I can't go up the stairs anymore, so I only go up when I go to bed, but every night when I don't know it, he sneaks upstairs, and he turns the bed back, and he lays my nightgown out. And she just thought that was the sweetest thing. And she's like, he does care about me. Now, you know what? That would not make a big deal to me. That's, that's not necessarily what, you know, what works for me. I can still make it up the stairs. I creak a little bit, but I still can make it up. Um, but for her, that planted in her love bank. And that made a difference. We all have different things that make a difference in our lives, but we have the opportunity with all the people around us, and especially with our spouses, to find those little things that help them feel loved and help them feel valued, and then choose to plant that into their lives. Because
0: the problem was not that he wasn't doing anything for the marriage. He was raising the generation where, you know, if I have a good career and I make a good salary and bring it home, then I've pretty well done my deal she should be happy with that. Now, she certainly appreciated that, but, but he was missing an understanding of how she needed to be loved. Many of you have heard of the love language, the idea of love languages, and, and many years ago, we saw this for years and years early in our practice, and then this book was written, and it really did a great job of clarifying uh, these five principles, and it suggests that we give love in the form that we need it. So if I like something, well, surely you'll like it, and that's how we give love. But as always, we marry opposites, and we, our partners tend to need love in a different form. And so the author talked about these five love languages. He talked about quality time and acts of service and physical touch and small gifts and words of affirmation that people give and receive love in these different forms. Well, I'm an acts of service guy. I've done that since all of my life. It's, it kind of fits my personality. I was trained to do that. My dad was a colonel in the Army. We had three boys, and he taught us to be good little soldiers. He said, now, when you come home from the day at school, don't wait for your mother to ask you to do something. Look around the house and just help. Pick stuff up, straighten your room, ask your mother if she needs you to do anything. I want you to do that as soon as you get home from school every day before you do your homework, before you do anything else. I became a good little soldier. I did that. It carried on in my adult life. We get married, and I'm helpful. So I walk in the house, and if something needs to be done, I just start doing it. Um, she didn't need to do it, and I assumed that she really appreciated this. And so we start hanging out with other young couples, and you know how the conversation goes. You can pretty much pick up what goes on in everybody's home just by the little conversations and social events. So I'm hearing the conversations going, and pretty quick, I'm going, I, like, do way more than any of these guys do. <laughs> My wife has hit Nirvana she has got to be the most, the happiest woman on the planet. This is, I'm fabulous. This is amazing. And humble. And humble. yes. Um, but oftentimes she would say to me is I just, I just don't feel very special. I feel disconnected. I just don't feel loved. And I'm like, I mean, how is that possible? Yesterday, I did, I did the whole dishes, the whole thing. I scrubbed the entire kitchen. I vacuumed the house Monday afternoon, top to bottom. I took your car last weekend, and you didn't even notice it. I took your car and detailed it last weekend, and you didn't even notice it. It wasn't her love language. Now, I tell you, I spent months, okay, years. Um, or okay,
1: decades. Okay, maybe... maybe. <laughs> I don't I'm think that say. was necessary. It's confession Sunday. <laughs> yeah.
0: I am a sinner. No, I'm just <laughs> um, uh, anyway, it took a long time trying to convince her that she should feel loved by all of these great things that I do for her. I'm just telling you, it doesn't work. Okay, so if you're trying to do that, stop it. Okay, mm-hmm. it's not going to work. It won't ever work. It's the definition of insanity. Doing the same thing over again, expecting different results. Um, I had to learn how to orient myself towards her love languages. Now, she's a quality time person. She's a small gifts person. I'm horrible at those. I just don't do those well. Little gifts, I find something she likes, and I run it in the ground. I just get that same thing for her all the time. And eventually, it's like, thank you for the seventh pair of earrings from that same store. You know? Um and I'm not very good at it, um, quality time. I mean, in, in nicer weather, we have a couple porches at our house. She would love to sit out on the porch and just sit and talk and read and have a cup of coffee. I mean, like a couple of hours, okay, just to be together. Five minutes into that, I'm like, don't I need to sweep the porch? Um, I mean, <laughs> is there's there something I need to do here? Wouldn't you like me to sweep the porch? She goes, no, just sit down. <laughs> now, again, it, it took me orienting myself towards how does she receive it and until she began to feel loved um, in, in the way that she needs love. Now, we're not going to go in all the detail of this. We have... Some handouts in the lobby. We have a, um, a little form you can pull down from the website. And we're going to be unpacking this on detail, in detail on, on Saturday. But basically what we ask couples to do. And what we're asking you today is these two things in particular. Because all of you are going to hear them. Mm-hmm. Test us in this. J- just test us. Try this for 30 days. Just see what happens. Just, just try to prove us wrong. Okay? Test us and see what happens. And what I'm going to encourage you to do is to make a list. Husband and wife. Ten, thing, the ten things that if your partner were to do for you, that it would feel like love. Now, they have to be practical, so don't put take me to the Bahamas for a month, okay? Uh, they have to be simple little things that they are easily repeatable. They also have to be positive. So this is not the time to say, well, quit throwing your dirty clothes on the bathroom floor and stop interrupting me and listen to me for once in your life. Um, that's not this list. okay? Later in the year, we'll do a conflict resolution Saturday okay? <laughs> and we'll show you how to deal with those things. These are all positive, so practical, positive and personal. So probably not clean out the gutters. Um, but now if I take Janice's car when it's running on empty, if I take it down to quick trip and fill it up for her, she feels very loved by that because she doesn't like to pump gas. Um, so it can be a task like that. Make a list of those, exchange those lists. And for 30 days, simply do something off of their list one time a day. A lot of these take 10 seconds. Text me in the middle of the day and just say, you're thinking about me and can't wait to see me tonight. Encourage me about my day. Say, you're praying for me. Uh, hug me when I first walk in the door at night. can be very simple little things. But just see what happens when you take 30 days and do this. Most couples get kind of stuck because they both feel like, well, I'm doing a lot, you know, and they really need to do something. I'm going to wait until they do something, then I'll do something. And they actually need to say they're sorry for something that happened last week, and I'm not going to do anything else until they say they're sorry. And we get stuck. Wherever you're at, I don't care what your feelings are, take a step and move towards each other and just see what happens.
1: It's really the little things that make a difference. We'll have couples that come in and go, you don't understand. We have big problems. This little stuff is not going to make a difference. But it really is a lot like oil in the engine of your car. You know, oil is pretty cheap compared to the price of a car. And it doesn't take that much work to put the oil in your car. I could probably do it. Um, I would say, I don't pump gas, I trade cars. So (laughs) I, uh, but I could probably do that if I had to. But if you don't do it, if you just go, well, I think it's ridiculous to have to put oil in my car. I spent a lot of money for this car, so I'm just not going to put any oil in. It should be fine without it eventually you're going to have problems and that great car is not going to be worth much. It's these little things that we plant in our lives that keep things oiled and keep things moving in the right direction. And then you can work on bigger issues because there's enough warm feelings there that you want to work on some of the other issues in your life. song of Solomon says, arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away Oh my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face, let me hear your voice. To really build close relationships, we have to have one-on-one time. Whether it's friends, whether that's family, or your spouse, you have to have one-on-one time to really communicate, to really get to know one another. Most couples do have some time together, But very few studies have shown have actual one-on-one date time just being with each other. And then we're surprised when we don't feel close. One of the best things we can do for our marriage is to have that face-to-face time you as Brent said you're going to spend most of your time side to side there's a lot of work that has to be done in our lives but when you pull together face to face that's when the closeness that's when the intimacy grows and you feel like you're on the same team again you feel like you're in this thing together or like as we say at my house we're boyfriend girlfriend again that's where the closeness comes
0: So we're going to talk about six basic guidelines. These aren't Brent and Janice's rules, but over 30 years of working with couples, these are things that we have found that make this time potent. Because most couples will run out to eat or run out to a movie or something, but they don't have much planning. And a lot of times they don't get the power out of it. Again, when we come back face-to-face, it's got to be potent. So we're going to talk about these real quick. Um, The first one is to set it as a priority. We can jump up and down up here and shoot off flares and wave flags and tell you how important we think this is and, and how many reports we've gotten back from couples over the years that have said that this has really changed the, the framework of their relationship. But ultimately, you have to decide it. So we're encouraging you to set it as a priority. And what we're recommending is two to five hours a week. You have 168 hours in your week. So I'm asking you for about one and a half to 2% of your week. It's not a lot. But I'm amazed at how many couples have a hard time pulling that off. Again, it takes that commitment for you to do it. Number two is the couples that have been most successful at this do it at the same time every week. They have what I call a sacred time for their marriage. The most sacred time in the American culture is Sunday morning. Most people um, do not plan business meetings on Sunday morning because we're used to, in our American culture, we stay away from Sunday morning. Even people that don't go to church generally just stay home and read the paper and walk the dog. Um, They don't have business meetings. And so you develop this time for your life, and then you begin to plan your life away from that. Now, it's going to be impossible to do that 100% of the time. There's going to be some other things that will invade that. You're going to have a family birthday or this or that or whatever. But if you have it locked into your calendar, if something invades that time and and, and comes uh, against that, then your your brain is quickly going to be, well, that's, that's our time. When are we going to do our time this week? And you'll think about rescheduling it. If you don't get it on your calendar pretty much guarantee you will not think about this again for six weeks or for six months. Uh, and it'll, life will just take over. And so trying to establish that sacred time for your life.
1: The third one is it's supposed to be fun. This is not the time that you look at your budget and go, okay, where are we going to cut back on our budget? Here's the two of us together. This isn't the time you talk about why your son is failing algebra. This is not the time that you go, okay, I've got to tell him that we're supposed to go to his parents for Christmas, and I am not going this year. This is not the time for that. (laughs) This is the time that we spend together as dates. We talk about positive things. We talk about good things. We dream together. You know, Brent and I being in church together and being in our practice together, we could talk about business things 24-7. And so we have to discipline ourselves not to do that. And sometimes when one or the other of us will start into it, we look at each other and go, what? What are you talking about? And sometimes we will go, you must be talking about the sharps. We're not the sharps. Tonight we are the smiths, and we don't do any of that. We go have fun together.
0: Denial! It's a beautiful thing. Um, (laughs) Our new book is going to be coming out soon. It's called Embracing Denial. It's... uh, it's a great, great thing. Um, anyway, just, you've got to work at keeping it light, keeping it, again, you've got to have that energy that you put back into your life. The fourth one, the number one killer of these times is, okay, let's go do something, get a babysitter, we hop in the car, we drive out of the driveway, we look at each other and go, well, what do you want to do? Well, I don't know, what do you, what do you want to do? Oh, I always have to decide, why can't you decide? Okay, well, you want to go to a movie? That is all we do. Is there not something we can do besides go to a movie? Well, do you want to get something to eat? Well, I had a late lunch, and I'm not really that hungry. I'm sure this has never happened to you guys, okay? This is for you to help your neighbors. Um, again, it just kills it. It will take the life out of it. So here we are driving across town. We can't figure out what we want to do. It's, you know, We stop at the first restaurant. 45-minute wait. Now we're getting irritated with each other, and it'll get, just kill it. Now, when we guys ask a girl out the very first time, we didn't just show up. We had a plan. We said, hey, there's a concert in town. Would you like to go with me? I'll pick you up early and take you out. We had a plan. And so what we do with this is we encourage you to alternate. Every other week, it is your responsibility to plan the experience. But what we have you do, it's another list. We like lists. We have you make a list of your top 10 date night ideas. These are the things that I would like to do if we go play together. Now, if you think of something and you think, oh, I don't think she's going to like that. But if you want to do it and you want her with you, I want you to put it down anyway. Because what happens is you alternate. And so this week, it's my plan. It's my time to to have the plan. But I don't go off of my list. I go off of her list. So when I'm taking her out, when it's my week to decide, I take her to do something I know she loves. It doesn't matter whether I like it or not. We'll probably go to a restaurant that has white linen tablecloths on it, um, candlelight, somebody pouring tea every 10 seconds. Uh, we'll probably go to a play, dress up a little bit and go to a play. Now that's not been on my list in 35 years of marriage. Okay. But that's always been on her list. And so we'll do that. Now it's fair because next week we'll go to an action adventure movie and eat barbecue. Um, cause that's on my list. And so it's always planned. It's fair And you get this very powerful thing again of giving and receiving. You give, and I'm giving towards her, and I get something out of that. If I've got a plan, and we're driving downtown, and we pull in someplace, and she notices what we're doing, and her eyes light up, I get as much out of that as she does. Again, it begins to make a difference uh, over time. It'll keep it alive and interesting uh, month after month after month.
1: Number five it's just for the two of you. It's good to have family night. It's good to double date with some couples, But you need time with just the two of you. I always say happy, secure kids come from happy, secure marriages. So it's good for your kids to see you still dating each other, wanting to be with each other. And as they get older, they see that's part of marriage. And when they go into their marriages, they're on date night because that's what they've seen marriage is about. I loved it at Christmas when my sons for Christmas asked for gift cards for date nights. I love it when I call them and they go, hey, can, can we talk to you tomorrow because we're getting ready to go out on our date night tonight. We build healthy marriages and that builds healthy generations. So work on time to be just the two of you.
0: And finally, um, you just got to agree on a budget for this. Uh, we don't want this to turn into a conflict. So one of you has this brilliant idea that we're going to rent a limousine and drive to Oklahoma City to see a Thunder game and we got tickets on the front row. And the other one's sitting there going... I can't believe we're spending this much money. What are you thinking? Um, We don't want it to turn into a conflict. So you just simply agree on what you can afford to do a month. You split that into four um, and um, to to make sure that this actually um, can be pulled off. Now, I know that uh, that many of your brains are cooking and going, well, no, we're not gonna be able to do that because of this. And, you know, the kids and babysitting and this and that. I know all the reasons why you believe you can't do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and Saturday morning, we have all the answers. Um, we have answers to every one of your complaints, every one of your reasons why you can't do this. Uh, it's, it's up to you to, to make a decision to do this. Now, there is no one little daily gesture that first exercise. There's no one little thing that you're going to do that just makes life fabulous. But I'm telling you, day after day, week after week, month after month, it begins to cement your life together. There's no great date that's just going to make everything fantastic in your marriage. But but week in and week out, repositioning, refocusing, face-to-face, putting life into your relationship will bring life. And we're just, again, test us on it take 30 days. Now, obviously we don't recommend people just do this for 30 days. The whole idea is it takes that long to form a habit in our life. Okay. The idea is you do this for the rest of your life, but just test us for 30 days. Just try to do this proactively as much as you can. Make a decision to do this. It doesn't matter what you feel like. Make a decision to do it. Um, so you do 30 of these little caring behaviors and you do four dates and just see what happens, just see what happens. Why don't you stand to your feet this morning? In just a moment, I'm going to ask Pastor Ed to come and lead us in communion. Um, But there's something about um, this kind of love that that we're being instructed to do, to to care for others sacrificially. And I know we've spent most of our time talking about marital kind of relationship this morning. I hope, even if you're not married, hopefully you're digesting some of this for, for the future. But this also works in all relationships. This can work with your children. Uh, work in friendships. Uh, this, But this whole idea of sacrificial love, of how do I give? I believe the only possible way that we can do that is by being touched by him, that he deposits love in us so that we then can love this way. And so a big part of what we're about to uh, experience here is the wonder of God is not only was there that initial grace of unmerited favor, but there's daily grace that he offers us. He gives us his strength. He empowers us. And so as you're coming this morning, there's something about taking him in, taking that the way that he loved us, then we love others. So we, we love you all. We're praying for you. We believe that God wants you to have the best, um, the brightest, the freshest, the most vibrant um, relationships on the planet. And we believe it's possible. Pastor Ed. Thanks for listening to this message from Sanctuary Church. If you're in the Tulsa area, we invite you to attend one of our weekend services at 5 p.m. on Saturday, 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. on Sundays. And if you would like more information on who we are and what we're about here at Sanctuary or to give online, please visit our website at SanctuaryTulsa.com or you can download our mobile app from the App Store or Google Play. We hope you'll join us again next time. Have a great week.